Welcome to the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. I am Robert Rogers, the founder of Parkinson's Recovery. In 2004, we provide information, support, and resources to individuals who currently experience symptoms of Parkinson's disease as well as their family members. I am excited and thrilled to introduce my guest today, Martha Carlin. She's at the top of my list of individuals who are doing groundbreaking research that is making a profound difference for individuals who are currently diagnosed with the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. So Martha, thank you so much for taking the time to be a guest on the radio show today. Tell us all about yourself. Sure, Robert. Um, I'm a self-taught scientist. I use the term citizen scientist um, from 21 years of researching the many aspects that might impact Parkinson's disease after my 44-year-old husband, John, was diagnosed with Parkinson's. So I took my business background in uh, business turnaround and systems and operations and the way that we approached looking at business risk of looking at the flows through the system, and I started to take that approach to Parkinson's and John, starting with food and water and and then expanding my research along the way. In 2014, I read a book called Missing Microbes by Martin Blazer that was showing the impact of antibiotics on all of these chronic diseases. And that was a real eureka moment for me later that year. The first paper was published by Philip Shepherdhans that connected gut bacteria and Parkinson's and showed he could separate Um, people who had either tremor-dominant Parkinson's or posture and gait-dominant Parkinson's by the bacteria in their gut. And not long after that, I quit my job and started funding some research at the University of Chicago and about six months later founded the BioCollective to do microbiome research across the population but with a particular focus in Parkinson's. And so we have collaborated with many researchers across the globe and done our own uh, direct research in Parkinson's microbiome and taking that into developing uh, probiotics, not just for Parkinson's, but uh, to help with other metabolic issues. And um, really also taking that data to look at biomarkers um, in the microbiome that may give us clues for other ways to help people with Parkinson's, and that leads me a bit into the topic we're going to talk about today. Martha Carlin, you look at many factors that may be impacting Parkinson's and the gut microbiome from the food, nutrition, and chemicals to stress and emotional issues. Now, what brought your focus to gram-negative bacteria and inflammation? Well, there were starting to be more, more focus on neuroinflammation as a driver of Parkinson's. And there's a researcher by the name of Malu Tanzi Um, who was at Emory and is now at the University of Florida, uh, that I have communicated back and forth with quite a bit about her research. And then there was some research, um, there have been several papers that had shown connections with um, a curly protein 
that is produced by E. coli bacteria, and E. coli is a gram-negative bacteria. But then we started our microbiome project, and we actually collaborated with a company in Poland by the name of Artigen uh, that had some machine learning software to look for patterns and biomarkers. And they ran some analysis, and what we found were certain of these inflammatory markers uh, coming from gram-negative bacteria. And so I started to kind of turn my focus to look at um, gram-negative bacteria and those cell wall components. And there was a, also a researcher uh, by the name of uh, of um, Dr. Ginsberg at the Hebrew University in Israel who had shown Isaac Ginsberg, he had studied sepsis. And that's a model where you get an infection and sepsis can kill you, but you can also get sort of a low-grade inflammation after having an infection where the the cell wall components of the bacteria that were infecting you are floating around in the bloodstream and getting into the tissues. And so he had written a number of uh, papers on that, and I actually contacted him and, and talked to him a bit about kind of the crossover in his discussion of sepsis and some of the inflammatory markers that were present in Parkinson's. And so this was kind of a I guess a perfect storm for me of uh seeing that um that connection and seeing other researchers in other areas who were connecting dots to what could be um what what Dr. Ginsburg called it was post infection sequela. That's kind of a fancy term for other symptoms you get after having an infection. So where the body is not fully clearing and healing up the effects of that infection. And the gram-negative bacteria, their cell wall is called lipopolysaccharide. It's made of lipopolysaccharide or LPS, and that is what's called an endotoxin. And endotoxins can be quite dangerous um, in cases of sepsis. Uh, if, if the endotoxin level is very high, um, it can it can kill you. Tell us about the history of using endotoxin in animal models of Parkinson's. So this was an interesting connection that I found that I, I, I had maybe made a little note of it a while back, but just hadn't really thought about it until recently. I was I was looking at all of these pieces of the puzzle again, and I went into the PubMed research and was looking at the different animal models that they use to study Parkinson's. And so there are, there are multiple models that they use with mice to duplicate different aspects of the symptoms of Parkinson's. But it just so happens that injecting this endotoxin, lipopolysaccharide, um, is one of the ways that they can cause an animal to exhibit Parkinson's-like symptoms. And they use this um, endotoxin in many animal models, for, not just for Parkinson's. They use it for diabetes and some, m many other um, 
disease models use um, aspects of endotoxin to induce the symptoms in an animal. Martha, tell us more about LPS and exactly what it does. So lipopolysaccharide, I think, as I said, um, is one of the components of the cell wall of a gram-negative bacteria. So let's say you have an infection with gram-negative bacteria and you take an antibiotic that um, lyses that bacteria. Lysing means it, it kills the cell by kind of popping it open. And when you do that, all of the contents that are in the cell and the cell wall components are then floating around for the immune system to have to clean up. And this lipopolysaccharide um, is the component that is quite inflammatory. And it, in the bloodstream, it can move around the body into different tissues and different areas and cause inflammation. Um, and, of course, at a high level, if you are septic or you have septic shock, it can actually kill you. You found research published in 1958 connecting to changes in the immune system's ability to handle LPS in an animal model, lowering the body's ability to handle endotoxin by about 37%. So tell us a bit about that research and how that connects to some of your previous microbiome analysis of, of all individuals, your husband John's samples. Yes. So I'm kind of one of these people who, like, digs very deeply. <laughs> and um, I was actually working on some research looking at the effect of mineral deficiencies and iron overload in Parkinson's. Uh, iron overload is well documented in Parkinson's, but um, in this research, um, it led us back to um, a paper that was um, studying the immune cells, so T cells and B cells out of the uh, spleen. And in the animal model, um, it turns out that mice are less susceptible to lipopolysaccharide than humans. And so they devised a way to make the um, to make the mice more susceptible to the lipopolysaccharide. And they did that by giving the mice a pertussis vaccine. And so the pertussis vaccine caused the changes in the spleen and the animal's ability to handle the endotoxin was lowered significantly. So, you know, at first I thought, well, that's that's a that's a very strange thing because you you think that a, a how would a pertussis vaccine, um, which is you know whooping cough, um, do that? But there, you know, the immune system is really quite complex. And then I recalled back at the very beginning when I was doing the research with the University of Chicago, uh, my bioinformatics person had sent me a note and said, you know, this is very strange, but in John's microbiome sample, I have um, assembled the full genome of pertussis. You know, did he recently have a vaccine? And um, 
he had not. And so, I, you know, I just sort of parked that off to the side and thought, how strange that is. Um, and so when I read this paper from 1958, I reached back out to him to ask him if he remembered that, that conversation and that data. And he said, oh, yes, absolutely, I do, I do remember that. And, yes, you're, you're correct, it was pertussis. So, you know, I wonder, I mean, I'm not sure how to go about it, but one of the things I'd really love to look at is, you know, if there is some similar impact on the spleen in humans from that particular pertussis vaccine and lowering the body, body's ability to deal with small amounts of endotoxin. Martha Collin, you really are amazing in terms of the way that you go about doing research. Now, you made your sugar shift probiotic back in 2017 for your husband, John, and you measured his improvement through UPDR scores and microbiome analysis. Now, you've gone on to study the probiotic in a diabetes clinical trial. Can you tell us a bit about that trial? Why did you choose diabetes instead of Parkinson's? And how do diabetes and Parkinson's relate to each other? Well, great question. Um, diabetes, so when I originally made the product for John, I, I made the product based on some research uh, from the World Parkinson's Congress, a uh, group was there showing that the sugar alcohol mannitol could stop the aggregation of the proteins in an animal model and pull them out of the brain. So I came back and I studied mannitol chemistry, uh, and I had a friend and advisor to my company who was from the probiotics industry, and in that mannitol chemistry book, there were just a handful of probiotic organisms that make mannitol by con converting glucose and fructose into mannitol. And so we came up with this concept to convert the glucose and fructose into mannitol to kind of like put back an internal factory to enable the body to do this itself instead of, uh, you know, taking spoonfuls of mannitol, which has some side effects such as, you know, gas, it can cause gas and some other issues. And so, you know, we came up with that concept for John, and John didn't, to our knowledge, have any blood sugar issues. But in the process of that, you know, measuring the shift in his microbiome and improvement in his UPDR scores, we let other friends and family try it. And some of those people actually had blood sugar issues and tried it, and it was easier to measure. So, it's, you know, it's much easier to measure something like uh, blood glucose or even serum LPS, which we could probably do in Parkinson's now, but um, than it is to do a study in Parkinson's with UPDR scores because they're, they're so subjective. So if you don't have the same physician every time that you're doing it, if everybody has a different physician, the way that they score is subjective. And so that that makes it a little bit challenging to have uh, good endpoint scores for Parkinson's. Um, but making it 
for for John and for other people with Parkinson's, I was primarily trying to address that mannitol and um, constipation, which it helped with. But then when we found out it was having an effect on diabetes, we decided to do a diabetes clinical trial. And so we measured all the typical uh, diabetes measurements, fasting blood glucose, um, insulin, um, HbA1c, postprandial blood glucose, uh, triglycerides, and but we also decided to measure serum lipopolysaccharide, which is the presence of that endotoxin in the blood. And in our clinical trial, one of the most dramatic changes in the first three months was a reduction in that lipopolysaccharide, serum lipopolysaccharide endotoxin in the blood. And that continued on for six months after uh, we unblinded at the end of the double-blind trial and kept subjects on for another three months. So that, to me, was um, exciting because I knew that there was this LPS Parkinson's model. But then I, you know, went on digging a bit deeper and looking. So I also, I had access to a very large data set from a hospital system that I think had about 10,000 Parkinson's patients' uh, data. I mean, not the individual data, but the metrics of what you call a comorbidity. That means, you know, if you have Parkinson's and then you have some other disease, that's called a comorbidity. And one of the highest comorbidities with Parkinson's is um, diabetes or some level of insulin dysregulation. And even now we see there are... um, you know, there are some studies coming out that these GLP-1 drugs may be beneficial in Parkinson's, and I think, again, that's trying to address some dysregulation in glucose metabolism in in uh, Parkinson's. So there is a connection um, in the metabolism, and actually this morning I was uh, looking up some other things related to insulin, and a hormone called amylin, A-M-Y-L-I-N. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's a that's related also to blood sugar, and it slows the transit in the GI tract. And amylin actually is the A-M-Y, the same root word as amyloid. And these amyloid proteins are what are associated with Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. So sometimes I just do kind of looking at words and going, boy, that sounds a lot like this. And the next thing I know, I'm, you know, 10 papers down finding the connection. So that this amylin, which is also connected with diabetes, has some uh, marker indication also in, in Parkinson's disease. Listeners will want to know how they can get some of your sugar shift probiotic. Well, we we sell it. Um, it's available on our website, which is BioticQuest, B-I-O-T-I-O, well, wait a minute, sorry, I spelled that wrong, B-I-O-T-I-Q-U-E-S-T.com, or you can find it on Amazon. We have it on Amazon. And then I do have some healthcare practitioners who are selling it, and 
I've got a couple of neurologists who found out about us and uh, one in Wisconsin who typically sends her new patients to us to try to help them with their gut. I mean, and I tell people, it's not it's not a magic cure for Parkinson's, 